This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, today I'm just gonna, today we're just going to have a, a little bit of a conversation about fog. You know, that thing that rolls in, you know, fog. Maybe some of you might be familiar with a person by the name of Florence Chadwick. Anybody familiar with Florence Chadwick? I know in first service, I thought maybe somebody would be familiar with them, but with her. She actually was a famous American swimmer. She's the first woman to swim the English Channel back and forth. Um, And then in 1952, she made this daring attempt to swim from Catalina Island to Palos Verdes, a city on the west coast of California. And uh, it's 26 miles, by the way. So, uh, you know, like, like a marathon is 26 miles and... You'll never catch me running a marathon. That's, that's like, that's like 25.9 miles too many, you know, for me to run, you know. So, so and my wife, she's just nodding here because she's run a marathon actually. And, um, but 26, swimming 26 miles just seems, I mean, like ridiculous for me, you know. But that's what she did. She's trying to break world records. So she, um, in 1952, made the attempt to swim across the, the channel there in, um, in California from Catalina to Palos Verdes, and she didn't make it. She ended up quitting. Now, what makes this attempt newsworthy wasn't that the cold water that caused her to, to not be able to swim the channel, which is it's cold water in, on the West Coast. It wasn't that her muscles were cramping. It wasn't that there was a shark in the water or a school of jellyfish. It wasn't even the fact that she had, by the time she quit, she had been swimming for 16 hours straight. I don't know if there's anything I do for 16 hours straight, but she had been swimming for 16 hours straight. The reason she quit is because while she was swimming at the 16th hour, fog rolled in. And she got disoriented and she kind of lost perspective of where she was. And so when fog rolls in, which often it does, what happens is doubt, there's fear. There's insecurity, and so in her case, she got in a boat because she didn't know. She didn't know where she was. The reason it's newsworthy is because when she got in the boat and she was finally resting, the, the judges who were, you know, there was boats along, going along. The judges who were with her said, you're only one mile from the coast. She had swam, swam 25 miles, and she was just one mile short of, the, of meeting her goal. I think it feels like that for many of us these days, right? We're in this pandemic season. And it just feels like fog has rolled in and what was clear is no longer clear and it feels like a shore. I just can't see the shore anymore. I can't see the direction that we're going in anymore. It just feels like it's just all around us and we just, you know, we just want to quit. And what makes this even more challenging because the fog seems to be connected to election year and pandemic and racial injustice and all those things have been happening. It's just like this heaviness around us. What makes it even more difficult for us is that Before all of this happened, before 2020 came, many of us already had fog in our lives. Many of us were already struggling with something. I don't know what your fog was. Maybe maybe you trusted somebody and that person disappointed you. They broke trust with you. Maybe you loved someone, but now they don't love you in return. Maybe before this pandemic struck, you were already having some financial hardships and 
or maybe some health struggles. Fog was already there, but on top of all of that, now we have this pandemic. I was at a pastor's conference um, last week in, uh, in Florida. There's a lot of pastors were canceling. A lot of pastors were saying, you know, just because of the pandemic, of course. And so, um, but I felt like I needed to go. I like Mark Batterson. He's a pastor in, North, in, in Washington, D.C. He talks about a change of pace and a change of place. A change of pace plus a change of pace equals a change of perspective. And, and so I needed to get out of here. And I needed to slow down so that I could have a little bit of perspective of what's going on. And I was sitting with these pastors, you know, and having conversations about, obviously, the things that are very present for us. And having these conversations with them, it's almost without exception, almost every single pastor I talked to said that 2020 is probably the most discouraging year they've ever had in ministry. That this is the reality that all of us are living in. Maybe some of you are in that reality right now. As we're coming to, to the end of 2020, there's just no clarity about what 2021 looks like. And so we're kind of walking through this fog. And so the question I want us to kind of think through as in our time together now is, what do you do when the fog rolls in? What do you do when... You just cannot see clearly. What do you do when you feel disoriented in your everyday life? What do you do when you feel like you might be drowning? What do you do when the fog rolls in? We're living in this time where people are anxious. And not just anxious, some people are just angry. There's a lot of anger as well. We're dealing with it. And they're not sure how to deal with it. And so that kind of brings us to John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And I've been kind of stuck in John 14 because I think it, if you, if you read, so, so you know there's the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, right? And, and if, you, if you've read through the gospels, especially if you like read through them serially from, from Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John, you'll come to this place where as you're reading through, you'll realize, wow, John seems very different than the rest. And it's true. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic, synoptic gospels, and part of that is because there's a lot of structure, a lot of source material that informed the gospel, and it kind of, it kind of like speaks, and it seems like they're all very similar. They have a similar structure. But John has a little bit different structure, you know? And I've been kind of stuck in John because John 14 through 17 is called the discourse, Jesus' last discourse, is where he's talking to his disciples right before he gets taken up into, you know, he gets arrested and crucified and then taken up into heven. And so he's speaking to them and he and he's, wants to talk to them about this fog that they're going to experience. Because when he leaves, things are going to get tough for them. Things are going to get very difficult for them. And he wants to address that with them. He wants to assure them that, that that they can, they can continue on, that there is life beyond the fog, really. That's what he wants to assure them. And Jesus, he's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to prepare them for the fog. He wants them to know that there is a, there is a way through the fog. There is a way forward. And that's where I feel like all of us are right now. God wants us to not be victims of the fog. He wants us to live in victory over the fog. And that's what I want to challenge you this morning as well. Um, you see, these followers of Jesus, they have a mission to accomplish. 
This is the very beginning of their mission. Jesus is about to leave them, and he's leaving them behind. It's the very beginning of their mission, and he knows that they have a work to accomplish. But there's going to be things that are going to come their way that's going to discourage them and make them feel like they cannot accomplish this work. And as I'm thinking about this, I see the parallels between what Jesus is saying in John 14 through 17 and the parallels with our everyday life now. Do you realize that each and every one of you, and those of you watching online, each and every one of you has a mission to accomplish for Jesus Christ? And he's calling us, he's inviting us to go beyond just uh, our, what, what we see in the fog and to realize that we need to look beyond the fog as much as we possibly can. So Jesus is going to encourage him, he's going to challenge him, he's going to encourage him to fix their eyes on him. And so just in case they have any doubts about that, he's going to talk about who he is, as a, what's his identity, right? This is where he goes in his final discourse. So let's look at John chapter 14, starting with verse 7. <clears throat> he says, if you really know me, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. If you really know me, know me, you will know my Father as well. He goes on. From now on, you do know me. Okay, this is the end of their three, they've been together three and a half years. This is towards the end of the three and a half years these disciples have been with him for that that length of time. And so he says, from now on, you do know me. You know who I am. And you know the Father. You do know him and you have seen him. And kind of Jesus is letting him know that you know him. But then Philip says, here's Philip's response to that. Lord... (laughs) Because Jesus just said, if you know me, you, if you see me, you know, you, know, you know the Father. You know him because you've seen me, right? Philip said, Lord, <laughs> right after Jesus says it, Lord, show us a Father and that will be enough for us. It's like, Philip, you're missing the point. <laughs> What's going on? Why can't you see what I'm talking about here, Right? Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after, after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so Philip is basically saying, Jesus, you know, we want to follow you and all. And we, wanna, we know that it's gonna, you're telling us it's going to get kind of foggy. We're not exactly sure what that's going to look like, but, you're, but that we have to have faith, we have to trust, we have to have belief. And so we want all of that, but just show us God. Show us God. So Jesus responds to him. He says in verse 9, how can you say, show us the Father? Philip, how can you say that? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So if you see me, you see the Father is what he's saying. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So he's first appealing to them to believe him, believe his words. Believe me that when I say what I'm saying, that it is truth. That I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, that if you see me, you see the Father, right? But then he goes on, he just even reduces it a little bit more. So, or at least, at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Like, believe what I'm saying, but also 
If that's hard for you, at least believe what you've seen done, what you've seen happen, right? Essentially, Jesus is challenging his disciples to remember the words he spoke and to remember the things that he has done. So in the middle of this fog, we need to listen to his voice. We need to, like, constantly, Jesus is reassuring his followers of his identity. In fact, like I said, John is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John has these interesting um, uh, like sayings that he uses over and over again. One of them, one of those is called the seven I am statements of Jesus. Seven times Jesus uses the word I am, and then he says something behind that, right? And so just a little bit of background. This comes from, if you, if you, if you go back to the Old Testament, you remember Moses is going to free the people of Israel from, from Egypt, and, and he has this encounter with God. And this encounter with God happens to, ha- happens to be this burning bush that's burning and it won't be consumed and it speaks to him and it says, when Moses asks, who shall I say send to me? He says, tell them I am is sending you. And from that point on in Judaism, that became a moniker, a name for God. From that point on, when that word Yahweh is used, that's kind of the reduced version of what, what was actually said that day, but when that word Yahweh is used, it basically is saying, this is the name for God. In fact, it was such a holy thing that you were not really supposed to just use it at all. Traditions say this, that if you were, you would have to write it on the sand and then erase it because it was so holy of a name to use. And then Jesus comes along And seven times says, I am something. And so this is a not so subtle claim from Jesus that he is God. And that's what John is focusing on, that we need to understand that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Each one of these statements that he makes has this profound implications for our everyday life. They tell us who Jesus is and how he is. How he, how he intersects our everyday life. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through all, all seven of these real, real fast, kind of in rapid-fire succession so we can see who Jesus is, first of all. The first one you find in John chapter 6. In John 6, there's this large crowd of people. You know the story. 5,000 people gather. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Miracle of provision, right? Remember that story? The feeding of the 5,000? It's an amazing miracle that happens. 5,000 get fed. Well, the next day, the people who had been fed, this large, you know, this large crowd who had been fed, they're sitting around. They're like, we're just hanging out because, man, you know, if we could just hang out here in this wilderness with Jesus, we'll always have food. And so the next day, guess what happens? They're hungry again because that's what happens, right? You eat one day, you feel satisfied, but then you're hungry the next day. So the next day, they're hungry, and they, they, they're like kind of complaining, like, hey, hey, where's the food, Jesus? Where's the food? And Jesus responds with verse 35 in John, John 6. He says, listen, I am, remember that's the word, I am, I am the bread of life. And I could just see Jesus talking to Philip when Philip is like, just show us the Father. Jesus is like, hey, Philip, remember that? Remember when I fed that multitude and they were like, they were complaining that they wanted more food and I told them I am the bread of life that I, that I can satisfy even beyond your, your, your bodily, your body hunger, your physical hunger, I can satisfy your very soul. And so when this fog sets in in our lives, when there's times of fog, you might ask yourself, Who's going to provide for me today? Who's going to take care of me? How will there be enough food for my family? 
How will there be enough for my family to make it to the end of the month? Jesus says, I am. I am the bread of life. I'm the one who satisfies. Next one is found in John 8, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will, will have the light of life. And this statement that Jesus makes comes just before he heals a man who is blind. And if you read on John chapter 8, you'll find that he had been blind for a long time. In fact, he's only ever known darkness. He's only ever known darkness. That's been his life. And then Jesus comes along, and he's a light, and he gives light. And so, Philip, remember that? Remember when I healed that blind man who had only ever known darkness? Who had only ever known what was like despair and darkness in his life? And when you're asking yourself, who's going to light the way from? Who's going to make a way from? How will I know which way to go? How will I know which direction to go in life? Jesus says, hey, I am. I am the light of the world. I am the one who lights the path for you. The next one we find in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I am, in verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. He's explaining that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven on their own merit in any other way. You can't work. You can't do enough good works. You cannot give enough in the offering. You cannot be, you know, as moral enough in this world to actually earn your way into heaven. Jesus says, I am the door. The only way, the only way you could possibly make it in is because Jesus is the door. And so remember that when you've lost your way, when you've lost your way in this fog and it feels like, man, everything's so, so crazy and chaotic and I'm not even sure, God, do I even have a relationship with you? Jesus says, I am the door. The fourth statement comes in John 10 as well. In fact, in John 10, 10, you find this one place where Jesus, you know this, there's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. And then the next verse, Jesus makes this I am statement. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So remember those words, Philip. When you find yourself asking who's gonna protect me, Who's going to watch over me? Who's going to watch over my family? Who's going to watch over my kids? Who's going to take care of business in my life? Jesus says, I am. I am the good shepherd. I'm the one who lays down his life for the sheep. Fifth I am statement comes in John 11. Jesus makes a statement just before he raises Lazarus from the dead. You know the story. In fact, I'm sure Philip, who is saying, just show us the Father, then we'll be, that'll be good for us. Philip remembers this one. This is a hard one to forget because he raised Lazarus from the dead, right? And so, so G- Jesus is told, hey, your friend Lazarus, he's sick. He's going to die. And Jesus is like, oh, okay. And then he just goes on his business. He keeps doing what he was doing. He doesn't go see Lazarus. And so four days pass. Jesus shows up where, where Lazarus is buried Lazarus is dead. He's been in the grave for four days now. In fact, the Bible gives a little bit of description, tells us that his, that his body stinks already. He's already decaying. And Mary and Martha begin to complain, and they're sad that he wasn't there, that if he had been there, if he had just been there, Lazarus would be alive right now, and then this is what Jesus says to them. Mary, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. 
I am the resurrection and the life. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. And listen, whenever you feel like Jesus is too late in your life to make a difference, whenever you feel like what has been done cannot be undone, whenever you feel like there's just no hope for that marriage to be resurrected or for your financial circumstances to ever turn around and be good, just remember Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The other I am statement that comes right before this passage that we read in John 14 is verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the only way out of this fog of sin. If you're here right now and you think that you can, you know, you can work your way into heaven or you can find, you can be good enough or you can be a part of Servolution and that'll make you, just remember Jesus says, no, no, there's only one way. I am the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then the last one, we're not going to spend any time on John 15. He says, I am the true vine. So this is what Jesus does. Jesus, I mean, John does. He, he tells us who Jesus is. That if you ever wonder who he is, if you're, if you're questioning his identity, that you can actually lean into that, especially in times of fog, especially in times of discouragement, especially in times when you're not sure what's next, that there is this way of leaning into Jesus because he is God. But then John does even more because it's not just believing what he says, but it's also believing what he has done. So John gives us, so I'm going to tell you these real quick. He gives us seven signs, seven evidences that Jesus is God. He first, he, he turns, Jesus turns water into wine. This is an evidence. This is a sign that he is God and basically tells us that Jesus has power over small things, right? It's, just, it's a wedding. They ran out of wine and they need more wine, and so Jesus is like, okay, fine, I'll just I'll do that. You know, it's a small little thing, really. That's all it is. But just, just in case you're wondering if he even cares about you, or even cares about your small things, what's going on in your life right now, you might think, well, there's so many bigger things in the world. Why would he even care about me? Just know that Jesus cares even over the small things. And he's willing even to perform miracles in your life, even the small ones. Second one is that he heals this official son. And this tells us that he has power over distance. The official comes to Jesus and says, hey, my son is sick. The son is back home. And Jesus just speaks the word, and the son is healed. Jesus has power over distance. Third one is he heals a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. And, man, this is powerful. He tells us he has power over time. I mean, 38 years, Really? If you've been doing something for 38 years, you're pretty much, that's, you're just used to that. That's just the way it is. You have no, you have no illusions that it's going to be anything different. And this man has been paralyzed for 38 years. It's amazing what Jesus can do. He has power even over time. He feeds the 5,000. That's another miracle. He has power over our daily bread. He walks on water. He has power over nature. He heals a blind man that tells us he has power even over our human bodies. And the last one is he raises Lazarus from the dead, and that's Jesus has power over life and death. So just so you know, when the fog rolls in, who is God? Jesus is God. And he is powerful. He is powerful. 
on Friday night worship, we were having our, the guy that was playing the violin, Caleb Dutzer, um, on the way out, we were talking, having a conversation, and he told me that his mother, who is, I guess, in her 60s now, has always, has always had, uh, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, always struggled with it. For years and years, has struggled with rheumatoid arthritis. And, you know, goes to the doctor, gets medication. But then she had recently had this, this, this surgery or some kind of surgery, and the blood work came back, and the doctor said, we don't know what's going on. You don't have any rheumatoid arthritis anymore. That's interesting. What's going on here? And they're they like, they weren't even, like they weren't even praying that God would heal them from rheumatoid arthritis. But this is what happened. Jesus, God, has power over every one of our circumstances. And this is really the message that I think Jesus is trying to communicate to his, his followers. And listen, the fog is going to roll. You cannot avoid the fog. You cannot avoid the fog. Are you hearing me? Okay, you don't have to say amen if you don't want to, that's fine. But you, you cannot avoid the fog. It's going to happen. It's going to roll in. But Jesus helps us look beyond the fog. So what I want to do is I want to end our time just using this acronym FOG, F-O-G, and just give you a couple pointers here on what we can do as we're navigating, as we're what do we do when the fog rolls into our lives? In Hebrews 12, the first thing we need to do is we need to focus on Jesus. Hebrews 12 tells us <clears throat> that we run the race marked out for us, and we run it with perseverance. But how do we run it with perseverance? With our eyes fixed on Jesus. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus. That's how we run this race. Focusing in on Jesus. You see, when the fog rolls in, there's easy to lose focus, isn't it? Have you ever been dri driving in foggy weather? Man, you slow down. You, 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 you try to, you don't turn your brights on because that makes it worse, right? You try to get, if you have fog lights, you try to turn those on because it's hard to see. It's hard to focus. It's hard to look beyond. And so what, what Jesus is trying to encourage us when the fog rolls in that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? It's difficult when there's all kinds of discouragement around, around us. In fact, as a pastor, that's something that I've been, I've been really wrestling with every, man, it's almost daily for me. The discouragement that people are you know, going through. I uh, got a call, um, a young girl, I guess, passed away a couple days ago, and, uh, and the, mother, the mother of, of a, 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 the girl who passed away's friend's mother calls me, and we're having this conversation, and she's just distraught, and she doesn't understand why. She's just 17 years old. How could this possibly have happened? Friends that I know that before COVID, we were having discussions and seeing how God was working in their life. They, they, they had a, an addiction problem to alcohol, and they were working through it, but God was giving them deliverance, and they were working through it, working through it, and God is helping them, and now it's been nine months, and I haven't even talked to them, I don't know where they are. See, this is the discouragement that comes with fog, and so Jesus encourages us to fix our eyes on him, to focus in on Jesus. That's what we are called to do. Now, with all of this discouragement happening, I have to be honest with you, I've also been very encouraged by how many of you have been focusing in on Christ. Seriously. There's some of you that I'm just impressed, you know, how 
how you're navigating through this life, how you're navigating through the fog, you, 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 you're taking it on. You're saying, okay, but I'm trusting God. In fact, there's some, some people will say, Pastor, you just trust Jesus. They tell me, I just trust you. When I'm like, when I'm the one that's like, yeah, I don't know, man. I was like, they're like, you just need to trust Jesus, <laughs> right? One of the ways that I feel encouraged by, by this community, by this church community, is how generous you become. When, when COVID hit back in March, you know, when, we, when it became a reality for us and, and, and we were canceling services and all that stuff, it was, it, was, it was scary for a lot of people. It was scary for pastors and churches. It was scary for small business owners. It was scary for all kinds of people because what, how are we going to navigate this? How are we going to get through it? Are we going to fall? Is it going to, are we going to lose all of our finances? But you know what? I've been encouraged by how faithful you have been in your, generos- in your generosity. When that happened, instead of it going down, it went up. That's what you guys did. Amen. And it stayed that way, and it's kind of tapered down now. Maybe, maybe the fog is getting to us. I don't know. But here's the deal. That encourages me. Because it tells me that even in the middle of all of this uncertainty, the very natural thing for us to do is pull back. The very natural thing for us to do is not give. And yet, in the middle of all of this uncertainty, you say, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to give. I believe in the mission and vision of Life Church, and I'm going to stand on that. And so, thank you. You encourage me. One of the ways that you can move forward in the fog is also by doing it together. I'm not talking necessarily about coming to church on Sunday mornings. There's many people who are not ready to do that, and I get that, and I understand that. But stay connected to life-giving people in your life. You can do that with a small group, whether it's in person or it's via Zoom. Or you know what? If you're just not even, you know, maybe you don't like to do Zoom. I get that. I mean, I got Zoomed out (laughs) six months ago. (laughs) Um, If you don't like that, that's fine. You know what? Commit yourself to, to have a day and a time where you decide you're going to connect to a, a friend, a life-giving friend by phone and have a conversation with them. And you're going to tell them the things that you're going through, the good things, the bad things, and you're going to connect with them and make that appointment. Say every Monday at 7 p.m. I'm going to give you a call and we're going to have a conversation about this. I've seen in our church where people have done these small groups. They've gotten, they've gotten together in person, but they did like a socially distanced small group. So they drove them. It's kind of wintertime now. You can't do it. But, but they would drive to a park, and they would park their vehicles in a big circle. And then they would just kind of like from their, you know, truck bed or somewhere, you know, they would just yell at each other in a, in a big circle. But that's just all us saying, hey, saying, saying we're going to stay together. We're going to focus in on Jesus. We're going to stay together. So focus in on Jesus. Second thing is you can offer thanks as you navigate through the fog. Thanksgiving and gratitude have an amazing power to cut through fog. Right? I mean, gratitude should be our natural response. Like when Jesus says, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you, we should say, thank you, Jesus. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, you say, thank you, Lord, you're protecting, you're, you're keeping me safe. Jesus says, listen, I'm the light that's going to nav- help you navigate through this fog. We should be thankful. We should be grateful. I was reading, a, uh, well, I heard about this pastor, Ed Dobson. I've known, him, I've known about him for many years, but I recently came across a book of his called um, Seeing Through the Fog, and the subtext of the book is hope when your world falls apart, 
I did not know this about Ed Dobson at that point, but the book is right. He's writing the book about his struggles with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and um, and it's in kind of an honest writing of you know how essentially he's saying how hard it is to be grateful. And so he writes, and this is what he says. <clears throat> There are many things for which I am not grateful. I can no longer button the buttons on my shirt. I can no longer put on a heavy jacket. I can no longer raise my my right hand above my head. I can no longer write. I can no longer eat with with my right hand. I eat with my left hand, and now even that is becoming a challenge. And over time, all of these challenges will get worse and worse. So what in the world, this is what he's saying, what in the world do I have to be grateful for? Then he answers his own question. He says, so much. And then he moves into a prayer. Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you for... Thank you that I can still turn over in my bed. Thank you that I can still get out of bed. Thank you that I can walk to the bathroom. Thank you that I can still go to the bathroom by myself. Thank you that I can still brush my teeth. Thank you I can still take a shower. Thank you I can still use a towel to dry myself off. Thank you that I can still eat breakfast. Thank you I can still dress myself. Thank you I can still drive my car. Thank you that I can still walk. Thank you that I can still talk. And the list goes on and on and on. I've learned in my journey with ALS to focus on what I can do, not on what I can't do. And so as we navigate through this fog, it's too easy to focus in on the fog. But we need to focus in on the things that we can do. I've learned to be grateful for the small things in life and for the many things I still can do. And so in this season, we can easily be taken up by the fog. There's constant uncertainties, very real struggles. But as followers of Jesus, we see through it. As followers of Jesus, we should be known by our defiant spirit of peace and joy that comes from gratitude. We should be known as light in a world of darkness. There's no doubt about it. There's a lot of darkness around us, isn't there? But we have an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus Christ. I'm kind of reminded when I think of this, this, this imagery of fog, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul and Silas when they go to Philippi and they start preaching the gospel and you know they, they don't like that they're preaching the gospel, so they arrest them and they put them in prison. And the Bible tells us that they're shackled. In other words, they have shackles on their hands and on their feet, and they're in prison and they're standing there. And I, I get these mental images of what it could look like you know, when somebody is when I read stories in the Bible. And so I'm imagining Paul and Silas, you know, next to each other with shackles. And Paul's like, well, Silas, what are we going to do? <laughs> and Silas is like, uh, I don't think there's not much that we can do right now. We're kind of tied up, right? But Paul's like, well, why don't we praise God? <laughs> That's exactly what they do. The Bible tells us in Acts 16 that they sang this robust praise to God. And then when they started singing praise in their prison, in their fog, in their distress, when they start singing these praises to God, it's amazing what God does. The ground shakes, the chains fell off, the doors opened up. I mean, a miracle happened that day, so much so that even the Philippian jailer and his whole, whole family give their life to Christ and, they, and they're baptized that day. So listen, church family, we have tremendous opportunity to be light in our world. We can be navigating through this fog with a 
with a joy on our hearts, with praise on our hearts. Amen? Amen. The last thing I want us to, to, to in, in this acronym of FOG, F-O-G, is, is to get perspective. Get eternal perspective. Jesus is talking to his followers about heaven here. This world is not our home, by the way, guys. You know that. And sometimes I think the distress that we feel, the discouragement we feel is because we've lost earthly things. Because the earthly things are, are not there anymore. But Jesus tells us this world is not our home. And we need to actually have eternal perspective. I like, I like how the message puts Paul's, Paul's words in, in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, we do not yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog. All right, this is Paul speaking to, uh, to, to the Corinthians, and he's telling them, hey, listen, about, about eternity, about heaven, about this eternal perspective, it's kind of like squinting through the fog. We can't really see it very clearly, right? We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long. I like how Paul turns it. It won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. Right now, it feels like for most of us that we're squinting through the fog. And that's where our struggle lies, right? Because we don't know what's going to come next. We don't know what's going to get in our way. But Paul says it won't be long. It won't be long. We have an eternal perspective. This life will end. One day we will be with Jesus in heaven. So Jesus, so Jesus is challenging his disciples to keep perspective, to maintain perspective. Listen, I don't know what's coming next. I don't know if the fog is going to lift. I don't. I can't promise that. All I can do is encourage us as we navigate through the fog to keep our eyes on Jesus, to know what he has said, to understand what he has done, and that if you in your life, you need God to do a miracle in your life, just because there's fog doesn't mean that he's not in the miracle working business anymore. That if you in your heart, you need encouragement, you need to know that there is hope beyond the fog, just know what Jesus has said. I am the good shepherd. I will always take care of you. I'll always watch for you. We started talking about Florence um, Chadwick and, and how... Uh, <clears throat> how she had tried to swim, you know, the 26 miles to, to Palos Verdes and, uh, and, and failed the first time a mile before. So once she found out that she it was only a mile away, that kind of angered her. It would anger anybody, right? And so, so two months later, she tried it again. And so she's swimming. She's been swimming now this time for about 15, 16 hours when again the fog rolled in the second time. And again, she couldn't see the shoreline. Again, she couldn't see where she was. Again, she kind of lost perspective of where she was. But here's what she did. She kept pressing on. She kept swimming. She didn't stop. She kept going. And then in a later interview, they asked her, you know, so how did you do it? Why, why is it that the first time you failed, but the second time you did not quit? What happened? And she says, I had this mental image of the shoreline. I couldn't see it, but I had this mental image of the shoreline. And I think Jesus calls us, let's all stand. I think Jesus calls us to have this, as we're navigating this fog, to have this mental image of the things that he has promised, 
the things that he wants to do in our lives. He's at work. Even right now, even through COVID, even through the fog, even through the difficulties that you might be facing, right now you might be facing financial challenges, you need to know that he knows those financial challenges. Now is not the time to quit. You may just be less than a mile from the shoreline. Now is not the time to start swimming out into open sea, trying to get around the fog. There's a lot of dangers out there in the open sea. Now is not the time to quit. Amen. I'm going to pray for you, and what we're going to do, I'm going to pray for us, because we're all in this fog together. What we're going to do is, Pastor Josh is going to lead us in that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And here's what I would like you to do is, as, as uh, Alyssa said, it's Friday we talked about this, putting our hands out, this is this, this sign of need. You know, when we do this, like my grandkids, they come up to me and say, Pops, can I have candy? How many of you need Jesus today? How many of you need Jesus to intervene in your marriage? How many of you need Jesus to intervene in your finances? How many of you need Jesus to intervene in the relationship with that person that now for, because, of, because of the politics that we've been going through, you don't talk to them anymore and you need Jesus to intervene? How many of you need Jesus right now? Just put out your hands and as we pray and as we worship, we're saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. Amen. Father, I just want to thank you, God, because you are a loving, heavenly Father. You give generously to your children. And right now, Lord, we are your children who are in need. We're navigating through this fog. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what 2021 is going to look like. We don't know about our job in the future. We don't know about our financial world in the future. We don't know about our, all of our relationships in the future. Father, all we know is that you are the God of eternity. And we want to have eternal perspective. We want to be a people who are grateful and thankful. We want to be focusing in on you, Jesus. So help us today. We stand here in need. We need you, Lord.